This might lead into that. There was always rumors with elite bands like yourselves and allies, Daniel Amos, groups like that, that they're going to go secular. They're so good. Was there ever any uh, inkling of that? Or was there, what do you think about that? There's others that obviously did, like Amy Grant, but I don't know, was it intentional? Did they mean to cross over or did it just happen to cross over? Uh, well, we did that. You know, the crossover point for, for Bob and I came with Butterfly Kisses. Of course, yeah, yes. The uh, the going secular thing, there was some talk about that at the end of Sweet Comfort Band. Yeah. Of of saying, let's let's just relaunch as mm-hmm. a, a band that's not necessarily branded in the Christian industry. Right. And I just don't think, it, it just wouldn't have happened. Okay. I think that... Um, I think there's a point at which, uh, if you're an Amy Grant, mm-hmm. you know you're you're doing so well in the Christian market that you're you know you're on top of the heap. You're you know? just that good, exactly, right? Yeah, appealing. And there are industry people that say, you know, well, if we can sell a million here, and there, there's a pond over there, you know, where they can sell ten million, we yeah. want part of that pond. Yeah. And so I think it's a matter of of uh, you know, it's inevitable that someone's going to say, um, you know, if you, if you have a, a business that's successful in Canada, you might say, well, mm-hmm. we, we want to sell our product in the United States. It's a yes. bigger market. You yeah. know, yeah. there's nothing that's wrong with that. No. So, yeah. You were involved, speaking of secular, one of my favorite singers, Shania Twain. How did that come about? All right, I'll talk about Shania Twain, but yes. we've skipped over the era of Allies. So oh, we'll no, we, we have to. Let's let's jump back to Allies. Sorry, I thought... Uh, okay, we'll yeah. jump back. Back to well, Allies. Let's go with Allies. But then again, why do we have to be linear? <laughs> exactly, we can do that. Talk about Shania first then, and then we'll go back okay, to Allies. Okay, we're going to jump to... Uh, we are now in... It was... Uh, after the band allies i was trying to figure out again what to do next Mm -hmm. because um you know there was a time with sweet comfort band i talked with brian about maybe we do something together and then he said oh i need to make a solo record if i'm afraid if i don't do it now i'll never do it Mm -hmm. and uh and then understandably history repeats itself and then with the band allies bob had said um you know, I want to make a solo record, and I knew he was well qualified. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, I remember my manager saying, "You know, Randy, you got to figure out what you're going to do because these singers always land on their feet." Yeah, and uh, you guys who are songwriters slash guitar players slash producers, you know, have to, uh, you know, it, it, it's it's almost like uh, we are the people that that need to expend more energy. Because uh, you know, success doesn't come quite as easily, right? You know, to the to to those of us who are not lead singers. But <laughs> uh, so I, out of you know, uh, self defense, I began to broaden. I I think that I thought in terms of if I produce records, if I own a recording studio, if I write songs, if I perform as a guitarist. There are four or five different ways that uh, I could have streams of, of uh, you know, revenue, and and if in if in one area I'm not doing well, maybe I'll do well in another. Mm-hmm. And so, 
I was trying to, you know, wear the hats and I started to put a lot of energy into the songwriting because of living in Nashville. Mm -hmm. I joined into um, the system of writing songs. I was at Polygram Music, which is now Universal. Right. And the former Allies drummer was uh, Brian Fullen, mm -hmm. and Brian had <clears throat> prior after the band uh, after the band Allies, he traveled with Shania. Mm. So he calls and he he says, "Hey, listen, Shania is doing a new record, and uh, her first record was really kind of a very nominal success. It it just made us, you know." Uh, it, it didn't really make a splash. It made a blip, right. yeah. you know. Yeah. And uh, and and you may be more familiar with it in Canada than mm -hmm. uh, we were in the U.S. But uh, but he said something really interesting. Brian said to me, "You are," um, he, he said, "You know, you can audition for Shania, but you'd really be auditioning for Mutt Lang." Was, so yeah. I said, "I'll, I'll yeah. do it just to meet Mutt Lang." Yes, you know? <laughs> Def Leppard and all that. Yes. Yeah. And and the cars and yes. ACDC. Many. Yeah. ACDC. Many more. <laughs> and on and on and on. And so, um, yeah. uh, what a genius this guy is. Yes. And uh, so Brian gave me some good advice. He said, uh, he said, well, you know, they're going to send you the record, and and my advice is, learn the songs backwards and forwards. Right. And if they ask you to play the piano part, you can play it. If they mm -hmm. ask you to sing another harmony, you can do it. And so I auditioned, and mm -hmm. uh, Brian's advice really paid off for me. Where, yeah. um, you know, uh, Mutt just said, uh, "Can you sing the other? Can you sing the other harmony?" Yeah, and, yeah, uh, yeah. In his beautiful accent. Yes. And uh, and so I would sing the other one, and, and he he would say, uh, "Now, can you change the chord so that you just what <laughs> what if just you played with Shania, <laughs> and just do an accompaniment with no band." Right, and I would do that, and mm -hmm. so um, I I had this great relationship with them because uh, I think Shania used me as the um, you know kind of the backbone. I was always her guitar player who knew her songs backwards and forwards. Awesome. And Mutt was he's a very benevolent slave driver mm -hmm. where uh, Mutt would demand that everything be played note perfect, exactly right. how he dictated it. Yep. But at the same time, he's the sweetest person you'd ever want to meet. Uh -huh. So my time with Shania, we we played uh, concerts all across Europe. Mm -hmm. I remember one. This we, we were playing in London at a at a at a club called Venom, mm -hmm. and uh, <laughs> talk about being in secular music. Yeah, really. Yeah. So we're playing a club called Venom, and yeah. all these industry people come, <laughs> and it was, uh, and I can remember Shania saying, um, yes, I, I just, um, you know, Shania is a very moral, you yes, know, she is. A wonderful lady, Yeah. Uh, but she had just done this video, and she, she was telling this audience of record company executives, she was saying, uh, you know, I just did this video where they had me writing a stallion. Right and uh, and she and then she showed them her ankles and she said, mm -hmm. "See my my ankles are all bruised on the inside from riding this horse bareback." Yeah, and and then she lifted her whatever she was wearing. You know, she yeah. kind of showed 
the, the, the inside of her calves. She said, I'm bruised yeah. up in the calves. And she said, I'm bruised all the way, way up, you know, the inside of my thighs. Yeah. And the audience got real quiet. Uh oh. You know? Yeah. And then she said, but I'm not going to show you that. <laughs> no. <laughs> So oh, there, well. there were times that Shania would yeah. talk herself, you know, kind of paint herself into a corner. Into a corner, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Uh, no, my time with her, um, she was very moral. And yes. Understand, I had spent my whole youth, people said, you know, if you ever play with secular music, they're going to, you know, hold you down and force feed demons into your mouth. No, oh, come on. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. And they're going to shoot heroin into your eyeballs. Yeah. You know, you're going to you, you have to stay away from those evil secular people. Oh, come on. And uh, no, they were just people. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, they are. Yeah. And it's uh, it's unfortunate later, yeah. you know, what happened with their marriage. But I, I would is, say, yeah. yeah, when I was around them, they were very cute. Where yeah. he was, you know, very much in love and very yeah. much, yeah. Uh, uh, you know, it was. It was a real fairy tale thing where I yeah. was with when I was with them. They were very much uh, the married couple who yeah. uh, were benefiting from making such incredible music together. Yeah. So we'll jump back to Allies. Then we've got because um, I'm sure um, they were before Shania. Uh, we're going to get into Identical Strangers a little bit too as well. Don't forget. But uh, Allies, tell us a bit about that. So Sweet Comfort Band is uh, gone and uh, Brian's gone his way, and you guys get together with basically the old group. Some of them are from Psalm 150. Um, tell us yes. about this story. The, the drummer, Jimmy, was from Psalm 150. Yeah. Sam and I had played in Psalm 150 together, and then Bob was from Psalm 150. Mm -hmm. The bass player, Matthew, was um, goes all the way back to the, the band Sunrise. Right. And so we had... <clears throat> This was a band that differed from Sweet Comfort Band in that yeah. Sweet Comfort Band, no offense, was no. a band I would never pick. I would never pick those guys to be in a band with. Mm -hmm. uh, these are the guys I would pick. Right. You know, these these are my buddies. Mm -hmm. And uh, and so for a moment you think, uh-oh, you know, if, if this was a hand-picked crew of buddies, maybe that won't work. But it okay. did work. But it makes a difference. Yeah, it was a a completely different dynamic because mm -hmm. um, we had such old friendships that we formed this band. And I think the challenge was um, like Sweet Comfort Band, we had so many musical influences mm -hmm. that um, I, I think that we did a good job of saying, okay, we need to sort of hone our musical style and have it be, have it be true to our roots where we all come from this funk and but what was happening at that time was a muscular kind of rock and pop mm -hmm. that we wanted to sort of emulate yeah it was like mr mr and toto yeah and and bands like that yes that, you know we said okay we are going to be you know even though everybody in the band could head off in all these great jazzy directions uh we're going to stick with this formula controlled right and yeah uh well somewhat yeah because uh and we benefited from when bob started singing mm -hmm. uh now by this time i you know i long had a recording studio uh because uh but we uh when i recorded bob singing 
I, I having been used to Brian, who's a world-class singer, mm -hmm. but but Bob's a very different animal. When he would sing, it was it was like having his 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 voice kind of has this blood curdling yes scream quality to it. Yeah, the Sammy Hagar go, quality to it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Go listen to Girls, Girls, Girls. Exactly. By, uh, yeah. Uh, what's her name? Uh, uh, who's the band that did Dr. Feelgood and all oh, that? Uh, yeah, I was going to say Motley Crue. As soon as you said girls, yeah. girls, girls, I ashamedly was going to say, oh, Motley Crue. Motley <laughs> Admitting Crue, I know, know who they are and what song that is. Yeah, exactly, yeah, that vocal. They hired Bob to, to get that blood-curdling sound. I've heard that. He's been um, on a few albums doing that kind of thing, eh? Yeah. So here I am listening to this guy sing going, yeah. we're going to have a rock band that has one of the biggest most controlled most you know most soaring vocals i've ever heard yeah um now again no this you know brian and bob are apples and oranges but, yeah you know this is takes no credit away from brian because yeah, he is they'll tell you he's that. fabulous at what he does yes. but it, i realized i had a whole different sound on my on my hands here you know and mm -hmm. so it became it, it began to become this interesting thing that bob's voice sounded so huge it was a wonderful challenge to say we have to write songs and we have to record them in such a way it this has got to be an unbelievably huge sound in order to keep up with his voice yes and uh so the band you know rose to the occasion and we came out with our debut record allies mm -hmm. now um uh it would be easy for me to paint the picture that, you know, we released an album and we just became famous overnight. But uh, meanwhile, uh, I think while we were preparing the record, I naively thought, uh, well, we can just, uh, we'll tour across the country. And, and I had to say that, you know, it was the, the band involved, Randy Thomas, formerly a Sweet Comfort band, so mm -hmm. hopefully someone would show up. Yeah. And uh, so we did our first concert at Laguna Beach, California, mm -hmm. and we just laid a big egg where we, we showed up in a tank and oh, uh, we were all wearing album military cover? uniforms. Yeah, yeah. Nobody came to the concert. It was the promoter and Ooh. the record company, Weasels, and, uh, you know, there, there's three or four people in the audience. Yeah. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> That's when I first met my wife. Yeah. And, and uh, my... So my first introduction to my wife, you know, where you you want your the person that you're trying to date, you want them to think that you're cool and yep. you're successful. Mm -hmm. And she was she looked at me and her first thought was, you know, oh this poor guy, he thinks he used to be somebody. And uh, <laughs> so it was a real rough first concert, but uh, I you know I think people are interested in stories. Can I tell you a story? Oh, absolutely. That's what we want. Yeah. Okay, once we got up and running and we got flying and we, we got where we played at Calvary Chapel and with allies and and now we're playing for, you know, 3,000 kids mm -hmm. in Costa Mesa. And and so we started the band wearing these military outfits yes. that went with the name allies. And it's embarrassing now, but it was cool at the it time. It was cool then. We liked it. <laughs> so Bob is wearing his... his his uniform that was like a, a an officer's uniform and he thought you know this looks really cool on stage well <clears throat> it may have been an antique uniform right 
vintage. And so there was a point at which Bob went to make, went to make an Elvis move. Uh huh. And it involved some kind of you know leg splitting, Uh-oh. you know, thing where <laughs> the, he made the Elvis move, <laughs> and the the vintage military pants ripped from stem to stern. It turned into two different pieces of fabric. It, and the drummer Jimmy said, um, he said it reminds. <clears throat> you remember? <laughs> you remember that time when, uh, when we had popping fresh dough? Yes. Yeah. <clears throat> he said it. <clears throat> it's like that moment where you take that cardboard tube. Yeah. And you whack it on the kitchen counter. <laughs> oh no! And the biscuits are popping out. You know? <laughs> oh gosh! So the biscuits came out and. Uh, <laughs> Bob went off stage and uh, he found some guy. There was, you know, I don't know how. There was a man who was back in the green room, mm-hmm. and he was wearing, you know, at the time, very unfashionable gray bell bottom corduroy oh. bell bottoms. Oh no! <laughs> and Bob simply said, "Give me your pants." Oh no! And so he steals this guy's pants, and he comes back out on stage, and, <laughs> uh, and underneath the you know the officer's you know olive drab uniform, <laughs> now he's got gray corduroys that end about mid calf. Yeah, yeah. Oh gosh. Oh my. So I'll probably get in tell. I'll get in trouble for telling that. That's okay. Bob, but it's, I won't. It's tell a true him. story. You'll hear it. That's funny. Yeah. <laughs> That's good. So, how many albums? You had like six albums, or we of... did six albums. Yeah, it sounds a lot like Sweet Comfort Can, doesn't it? Yeah, but it's still and, great. Uh, we got six albums out of you. Yeah, and the uh, the first one, as you can tell, and the second one uh, was done again with Dino Elefante. Yes, and he and I start co-producing. Mm-hmm. And then you'll notice that by the third record, which I think was uh, Shoulder to Shoulder, yeah. uh, then Bob and I started producing the records at my home in Redlands, California. Mm-hmm. And uh, and by the way, that was revolutionary back in those days. It's oh, real common sure. now. But yeah. Um, yeah. imagine, I mean, you'd have to go back and look and see how many people were recording in their house hmm. in 1986, whatever year it was. Yeah, not too many. And full, you know, 24-track yeah. studio in a house. But I did it, and it was that was a lot of fun. What a dream. That's awesome. So we started, um, you know, what I called Allies Recording Studio. Yeah. Uh, and started, I think, Shoulder to Shoulder was uh, also a move to Word Records from Light. Yeah. And uh, and looking back on it, as you and I were discussing, mm-hmm. you know, the industry was sort of it was so innocent and small in the in the late 70s. Mm-hmm. Well, by the mid 80s, it wasn't so innocent. It wasn't so small. Hmm. It was, uh, you know, there was so much more of an industry and booking agents and record companies. And yeah, yeah, uh, there was so much more business, business, business to it. And, uh, but we put out videos and we yes. had, you know, we had hit singles and yep. How many lineup changes were there? I think it was usually there were, it was the original all the way through. Was it not? Or was there a couple changes along the way? 
Uh, well, the shakeup was uh, Sam was there at the beginning, and Sam yeah. did the first two records and left. Right. Uh, so <clears> that was that was uh, that was a point at which I consider to be a a big pivot because Bob called me at one point, and this was very pivotal to other things in my career where. Uh -huh. He said, uh, you know, I think we were kind of going, What are, are we going to keep the band going? What are we going to do? Mm. And Bob called me out of the blue, and it's hard to explain, but he just said, uh, hey, um, what do you say that that uh, you and I just become a songwriting team? Mm. And um, he had worked with this songwriting team uh, known as Steinberg and Kelly, who yeah, yeah. wrote stuff like uh, True Colors, you know, oh, had a long yeah. string of pop hits. Yeah. And he had recorded for them, and he said, I really admire how these guys, they just putter around the house, and they write songs, mm -hmm. and and what if you and I just became a songwriting team? Mm. And I said, okay, let's do it. Yeah, do it. And uh, and then he said, well, I guess the first thing we'll do is let's write some songs for this band, Allies. Mm -hmm. So we did that, and then he showed up at my house one day. Bob used to drive a 1966 Chevrolet truck and he shows up in his pickup truck and he says I got a country song can you write a country song mm. and based upon my childhood all the records I heard growing up I said yeah I think I can sure so he's he uh, shows me this idea for why'd you come in here looking like that oh boy oh boy. so I'm sitting on a plane I don't know I have I don't remember where we were headed, but I do remember I had a notebook and a pen, mm -hmm. and I'm sitting on a plane writing lyrics like, um, she could stop traffic in a gunny sack. <laughs> yeah. And I'm I'm thinking to myself, you know, <clears throat> I'm now at a point, unlike when I was younger, you know, where I'm wanting to write great lyrics. Mm -hmm. But I, I can remember very specific, specifically thinking, you know, someone who really writes country songs is either going to look at this and say, that's so stupid, that's so cliche. Yeah. Or are they going to look at it and say, that's real country. Yes. And, you know, the next part of the story is we get a phone call saying, Dolly Parton recorded your song. Yeah. And it's going to make it her first single. Wow. And I said, wait, wait a minute. <laughs> the Dolly Parton who wrote Jolene. Exactly. <laughs> the Dolly Parton who wrote I Will Always Love You. Yeah. Wants to record. you got to be kidding me. And I said, no. <laughs> oh, Dolly <laughs> Dolly wants to make it her comeback single, her first single on, on the record White Limousine. Wow. And and that's where, at that moment, I knew, okay. That's it. I guess I can write country lyrics. Yeah. Um. And Bob certainly can, you know, knows how to how to have the spark of inspiration for a hit song. Yes. So we had a really what year was it? It was something like uh, 1988 or so, where we had a number one with Dolly Parton. Mm -hmm. We had multiple number ones with Allies. Mm -hmm. uh, boy, we had, we felt like we had arrived, and uh, and then Bob gets it in his head that he's he's going to move to Nashville. So. We we were somewhere in Indiana, and we peeled off from Indiana, and we drove down to Franklin, Tennessee, mm -hmm. and uh, mm -hmm. and I, and we split up in two different directions. I went kind of looking for houses, and Bob walked up to a guy named Melvin Spain, and mm -hmm. he said, uh, "You know, I, I really like your ranch here." And Melvin said, "Well, it's for sale." And Bob said, "Well, I'll buy it." Wow. Eh? And uh, 
so I think Bob, you know, bought a house and he came. Imagine, you know, mm -hmm. then at the end of the tour, yeah, he he flies back and he tells his wife, "I just bought a house in Franklin, Tennessee." <laughs> Did you look inside? <laughs> and you know, he says, "Well, it has a barn." She says, "Okay, okay, fixer upper." So. <laughs> uh, so when Bob bought a house in Franklin, Tennessee, you know, the pressure was on where um, my wife and I, uh, uh, my wife Lori is, uh, has a wonderful sense of, you know, where I would probably pick a boring house with no future. Mm -hmm. She has, she has much more of a, you know, uh, we at that point had young kids and yeah. so she found a house that was again it was like we consider it a ranch we called it radio ranch mm -hmm. where i spent um with my family we spent the next 18 years you know raising our kids um writing songs uh you know just having just a new chapter of fairy tale life after the dolly song uh we moved the band there and so you're talking about membership changes. There weren't a lot of membership changes in Allies. Yeah. We had, we just lost our second keyboard players, uh, uh, Kenny. Uh, you'll see on the record, shoulder to shoulder, and then mm -hmm. we decided we're not going to, we're not going to put <clears throat> a picture of the keyboard player on the subsequent records. We became a four-piece band for a little bit. Okay. And then the uh, the major shift was when we moved to Nashville. Uh, we couldn't afford to be, you know, a, a Nashville slash Southern California band. Mm. And it's it's sad and unfortunate. But in talking yeah. with Matt and Jimmy, you yeah. know, it, uh, at the, here's what's funny. At mm -hmm. the time, I was saying, guys, you know, would you consider moving out here? And they said, no. Uh, you know, and I yeah, said, yeah. Well, you need to help us figure out something where, you know, it would mm -hmm. be so expensive for us to try to, you know, we're, we're just not the Eagles. We're not. Right. Can't afford we're not in a position where forth. we can. Yeah. Yeah. We, we can't just uh, live in two different parts of the country. And mm -hmm. so they gave us their blessing to, yeah. you know, we just, we, we got uh, Mark Hill on bass. We mm -hmm. got Brian Fullen, who I mentioned on drums. Yeah. And, and the, you know, there's uh, a bunch of keyboard players with us. Uh, you know, there was Scott Sheriff, mm -hmm. who's now, uh, who's he with? He's, he's, he's a big shot in Nashville now. Mm -hmm. um, and we had a guy named Randy Lee with us, mm -hmm. uh, who never got his, his face on a record cover. Oh. Um, so we had, uh, you know, a couple of keyboard players that came and went. So, um, Compared to where I came from, that's a lot of lineup changes. <clears throat> that's but right. Compared yeah. To, yeah. Compared to some bands, that's pretty <clears throat> minor. It's pretty good. Yeah, pretty good. Yeah. So, Identical Strangers, was that uh, like a one-off, or did you tour for a bit, or just do an album together? I'm not sure. That's the full story. We do have the album in our library. It's very good. Um, and it's uh, Mr. Denton from uh, Legend 7, I believe. Yes. That was a that was a happy and sad chapter. That, uh -huh. um, again, I was. We're now at the point where I'm in my forties, you know, and mm -hmm. and uh, this was prior to having you know the butterfly kisses thing okay. and yeah. the Shania 
or was it after Shania? I don't know. But um, so now we're up to about, uh, you know, 96, 97, somewhere in there. And uh, yeah, I think it was 96. And I made a record with Andy. And uh, boy, one of the things if I had to do over again, I might, you know, I wish I could go back and talk to Andy and I and say, maybe we should have called that allies. Yeah. And we just, uh, because we, we would have had some name recognition. But exactly. Nobody knew who you were all of a sudden. No. Yeah. We put out a record, and uh, <clears throat> the record company, uh, you know, I think did a spectacularly poor job of distributing it oh, uh, yeah. because we tra we traveled all over the country with New Song. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and that's where I learned about distribution, where yeah. you would have... Like you would have a, a record store in Atlanta, and we'd play in Atlanta, and they had 15 copies in the store. Yeah. And so after we played there, the 15 copies disappeared. Yeah, yeah that's and right. so we'd go back and we'd play Atlanta again, and, and you know, you talk to the, the store there, and they said, we can't get our, any more copies of your record. Mm. Uh, meanwhile, you know, you might have somebody in... Uh, in Boise, Idaho, that got 15 copies of the record, and they're not selling. They're sitting there, yeah. So, you know, that's yeah. where I learned the lesson, and it's if tough. you don't have the right record company, yeah, it's just a mistake. So, Well, I'm pretty versed on it, and I didn't even know about it till last year. And then we got it in our library, said, so we got to get Identical Strangers. It's Randy Thomas and Andy Denton <laughs> together. What? Real? Never heard. So that shows you where it went in Canada. You know, which is yeah. too bad. It's a great album, and uh, that's it. Is too bad. Um, Thank you. I'm I'm still proud of it. I was, yes, I could still listen to it absolutely from front to back and yeah. say, uh, you know, like any record, there's there's a couple of hit songs on there, and yeah. there's a, a couple of of uh, you know the the runts of the litter. Yeah, of course. But, uh, yeah, there's always a couple of fillers, but even then, but, they're, they're still pretty good. <laughs> Yeah, but you don't know which ones they are until no. you put the record out. That's and then, right. And then people you know, pick what they like. We missed a little bit of the story of Butterfly Kisses. That that was uh, obviously a huge hit. Even, you know, everybody knows that song. Um, what was the deal with that? Just another song you tried out and, and somebody liked it? Uh, Bob sang it, obviously. So um, what's the background on that one? Okay, well... It was very much like, why'd you come in here looking like that? Mm -hmm. And that is, Bob said, uh, got this idea for a song, Butterfly Kisses. Uh. And uh, I still have the cassette he gave me uh, where he came over and he's got the beginning of a verse and the beginning of a chorus. And so when you've got a verse and a chorus kind of musically, that is, that's a big musical start. But yeah. then your yeah. difficulty is... Uh, you, you know, the lyrics sometimes, I think Bob would agree with me that most of us songwriters, we can put together music in about 15 minutes. Yeah. But the lyrics may take us six weeks. Mm -hmm. uh, that would be a long one, but it could take that long. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, so there's a drastic difference between good lyrics and good music as far as uh most of us can, you know, uh, we we really get bogged down in getting just the right lyric. Yeah. And sure enough, you know, Bob had this obviously great inspiration, 
but um, so I think our first writing session, I said, uh, okay, um, I'm the you know sort of organized thinker. So uh, I said, you know, the second verse will have Sweet Sixteen, right? And Bob says, okay, third verse will be the verse where she gets married. Mm -hmm. And Bob said, oh, no, 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 I'm, <laughs> I'm not going to sing about my daughter getting married because I, I wouldn't be able to sing that. I'd break down crying. Yeah. And then he stopped himself and he said, oh, but if it makes me cry. Right. So, <laughs> you know, I had, I had learned by this point that Bob has, Bob's strength is he will have a flash of brilliance and have this great idea, but he can't finish it, mm. you know. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it, so he will always have these fantastic ideas that don't get finished. Meanwhile, you know, I think a lot of the songs that I was writing in Nashville, you know, with other people, I would make sure the songs get finished, mm -hmm. but they might not have the flash of brilliance uh. that I needed from Bob. Right. So Bob and I were the ultimate songwriting team where it's almost as if we could do no wrong. Hmm. We tried writing songs backwards, forwards. We, we literally, I would say, you know, I got a verse. Well, I got a chorus. Well, let's make, you know, we would just splice duct tape two different songs together. Hmm. Uh, we could do, we could write a song from any angle, you know, uh, I could say, well, I generally write the music, so next time, uh, or, or I could say, you know, you always have the flash of brilliance in the music, and then I write the lyrics, so let's switch roles and see if we can write a song. Yeah. And so we'd write us, you know, <clears throat> I can't remember which particular, but that we found, we could even do that. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I would <clears throat> come up with a, a title and a piece of music, and then Bob would write the lyrics. We could, um, so anyway, all that to say, we yeah. had already we were already feeling a bit like we were bulletproof as songwriters. Mm -hmm. And uh, so then there were multiple songwriting sessions where um, we were fleshing out the songs. And uh, then what, in my imagination, I thought this will be another Dolly Parton song that we, we will finish the song and you know and and we just want to shoot for the moon we just want to get a garth brooks or somebody to record yeah. this song mm -hmm. and so when bob called and said you know that song butterfly kisses i'm gonna i'm gonna put it out on my own record i think at that point bob was was thinking that was a compromise mm. you know like that's uh, just do it because maybe nobody else will yeah, and yeah. and you know that sounds terrible, but if, it at does, a point where you know we're, well. we're yeah, if, if Bob's selling fifty thousand records <laughs> and Garth Brooks is is selling five million, mm. you know, it it feels like a compromise. Um, now I'm just guessing what Bob was thinking. You know where he's yeah. saying, yeah, yeah, I'll just I'll just put it on my record. Yeah, and so we were thinking, you know, well. That will sort of that that'll get it established, and and maybe someday somebody will pick it up and it'll be a hit. Mm. And uh, and so none of us were really prepared for. Uh, now it did go out to 
Christian radio, and it, yeah. it I ironically went to number two in the Christian market because there was some jerk of a guy in Dallas who wouldn't play it because, uh, of course, you know, yeah. There's always this one guy yeah. that says, "Sure, I'll I'll play your song." Hmm. Uh, I need a new car, you know, okay. whatever it was, and then, yeah. then he would play your song. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And uh, so those who, you know, had the wherewithal to buy him a new car would get their song on the radio. Oh, boy. So um, the it goes to number two in Christian radio. But there was a man named George King who was with Bob's um, little label I've forgotten the name of. And the the label starts thinking, we want to try to put out a secular single. We're going for the secular ring. And meanwhile, that little label was being bought by a man named Clive Calder. Mm-hmm who ironically was very, very closely related in business to Mutt Lang, my friend. Mm -hmm. And so Clive is in New York City, and he acquires this Christian label. And so the story later that Clive told me is... He was going to leave on vacation with his wife, and so somebody said, you you know, you just bought a label, and so you got to listen to all these artists. Mm-hmm. And so he's listening. I don't know who all was on the label, but, you know, yeah. there's yeah. there might be a, a black gospel choir, and so he's got to listen and say, okay, I, I listen to it. And, you know, there might be a female pop singer, and, he, okay, i got to listen to her to say I listen to it. And then there's there's some guy named Bob Carlyle, mm-hmm. uh, and so he puts in a song, and I think it was a song that Bob and I wrote uh, called "On My Way to Paradise," you know, mm-hmm. and uh, and then they got to their destination, and he, he was going to turn off the car and stop listening to the record, and for some unknown reason. Were it not for the grace of God, mm-hmm. his wife, Clive's wife, turned to him and said, "Let's just listen to one more." Mm-hmm. And the one more song, of course, was "Butterfly Kisses." Wow! And Clive, being a guy who can hear a hit song, yeah, you know, he listens to it, and he's thinking, "I think this is a hit song." <laughs> yeah. And he turns to his wife and he says. I think this is a hit. What do you think? Mm -hmm. And his wife didn't answer him. Yeah. She was crying. Wow. And so... Oh, my. Meanwhile, in New York, he's supposed to be going on vacation. Clyde Calder started... You know, he's a guy that wields a lot of power, and he he started calling people saying, find out who this Bob Carlisle is and put a single out on this guy and put all our muscle... Because he owned Zamba, mm-hmm. Zamba music yeah. with uh, with Mutt Lang, mm-hmm. and uh, so I, I don't think Mutt had anything to do with it. But he said, you know, put all our muscle behind the song. Meanwhile, mm-hmm. George King was trying to figure out. He was starting to get feedback from DJs saying, "You got a hit song here." Wow. 
and George King was was thinking, but if if we can sell a million singles, I don't have the money to print them. Mm. So that's where the finger of God comes down, yeah. and you you got this little record company saying, "I think we got a hit, and I don't know what yeah. we can how we can do this." Yeah, and then you've got Clyde Calder's people saying, "Whatever you need." Wow. We will stop all the presses and we will press butterfly kisses cuz you got a hit. Wow. That's And then the stations say, you know, you got a hit and yeah. then, you know, and it was because of the the absolute miracle work of God. Yeah. So that is the, you know, the the genesis of the song from from writing to recording and then uh there's a real strange disconnect that that we all have to live with and that's where Bob went on Oprah and said that he wrote the song one night and he played it for his daughter and you know millions of people went oh yeah and <laughs> and no one was particularly interested you know in hearing the real story of how the song was written yeah and um, so that was a little hard to take where yeah. you know uh, I wound up, uh, you know, there were some articles written around Nashville where they were they were saying, now wait a minute, this other guy wrote the song, but the mm -hmm. story is that, you know, uh, but let me give the important credit where credit is due, mm -hmm. is Bob babied that song. It was his baby, mm -hmm. and and he produced it, he sang it, you know, he he mixed it. He, you know, he birthed the song in a way yeah. as a record where I was only the songwriter. So later, mm -hmm. when when Bob, you know, got all the attention as an artist, uh, he didn't really get the attention he deserves as a producer. Yeah. And then we, you know, technically we share the songwriting credit. So. Uh, Bob was so deeply involved with the song in believing in it from beginning to finish that, um, you know, you certainly can't take any credit away from his genius. Yeah. And, uh, but what I like about the story is there was so much of that that would not have happened if God does not sometimes decide to do a miracle just to show that he can do it. Tell us about uh, you sing with your wife, or you did for a while. You're probably obvious to still do Randy and Lori as a, a duo. Um, how long did that go for? And you still, still well, we aren't performing right, much right now uh, with the pandemic going on. But uh, tell us a little bit about that and what you're doing now. For the last 18 years, no. That's too long. <laughs> no, I, I need to do my math. For the last 13 going on 14 years. Yes. Yeah. Uh -huh. I was 18 years in Nashville. Let me start over. For the <laughs> uh, <laughs> for these, these years since January of 2007, I have been at Westminster Presbyterian Church. Mm -hmm. And I've been leading worship, and I've done everything from, from lead a choir which is out of my element from where I come from, to clean toilets, to 
you know, worked with different pastors and done a lot of different things being a worship leader. Mm -hmm. So um, that really was, um, you know, had to do with my coming out of all of this adventure with Butterfly Kisses. What do you do next? Mm -hmm. You know, how do you outdo that? You can't. So I went back to square one and went back into ministry. Mm. And um, so my wife and I, having pretty much raised our kids in Franklin, Tennessee, uh, and, and we had been involved in a church plant there. And my wife and I began to sing together, but somehow I never knew the depths of her talent. Mm. She was always a great singer, uh-huh. and we, she often would sing songs for me in the studio. I would write a song, and, and uh, more often than not, it would be in country music, you do female songs. Right. So, so Lori would do all these great vocals, but I'm afraid I kind of took her for granted. I just thought, mm-hmm. you know, well, isn't everybody married to a great singer? <laughs> and uh, so when we came down to the church, you know, people were just going, when every time Lori would sing, you know, mouths would drop open. Yeah. And, and uh, I often have to apologize to my wife where I, I worked with Brian Duncan, I worked with Andy, I worked with Bob, and here, right under my nose, uh, my wife is such an incredible vocalist Wow! that uh, as we began to do things with the church, it wasn't until 2015 that you know, we, Lori and I were playing with some of the local horn bands and kind of returning to our Psalm 150 roots, if you will. Yeah. And so uh, everything kind of comes back to its roots its roots it seems where um, we were just playing you know locally and, and doing some dances and doing some clubs around southern Cal- uh, um, southwest Florida mm-hmm. and while we're doing the church thing in 2015 we we launched what we call Randy and Lori and uh, and it says on our business card playing Southwest Florida's favorite dance music uh-huh. yeah. um, you know and we're a musical duo for all occasions, mm-hmm. band upon request. Mm-hmm. Um, and we la- we launched randyandlori.com, and Lori is spelled L-O-R-I, if anybody wants to yeah. look us up. You'll be, be disappointed. My, be because, my, yeah, that'd be my next question, how to get a hold of you. So there you go. Good. Yeah. And although if you look up that website, you <clears> know, <throat> it's, it's, it's essentially meant for uh, in this area. Yeah. Uh, the... There is a really specific little market. I shouldn't say little. It's a pretty substantial market of country clubs mm-hmm. that um, that hire entertainment. And we often play. This is going to sound so strange from where I come from. Uh-huh. But, for instance, last night we played at a country club. And we will play and they will serve dinner. And everyone ignores us. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then uh, <laughs> yeah. Lori will sing something like, or we did, what's that uh, song from Phantom of the Opera, That's All I Ask of You? You're right, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, we'll sing that, and people will will drop their forks listening to Lori sing. Wow. And uh, and then we'll do something like Johnny Be Good, you know, and I'll mm-hmm. I'll go around the room playing guitar. And, mm-hmm. uh, uh, and so now I live in a world where we play these these local little concerts that are, uh, you know, really, we can't even invite the public. You have to belong no. to the club to come see us. Yeah. 
so it's a it's a, it's an interesting little niche market that we really really love. Mm-hmm. that unlike Greg Eckler and most and Bob Carlisle and most everybody I've known if you really grew up playing cover songs your whole life you would you would want to shoot yourself having to do cover songs I know <laughs> you know at this point in your yeah. career yeah yeah when you but men- I don't hate it when you mentioned you know? uh, Creedence Clearwater earlier I thought how many times has your band played Proud Mary you know <laughs> so oh yeah and we yeah. get we, we get asked to do yeah. the the Ike and Tina Turner version of that song. Yeah. So, yeah. you know. I play in a band and we do both. We mix the two together, especially if there's a female singer around who wants to sing with us. So, I, uh, <clears throat> but if I had to play that song again, <laughs> but you just have to, yeah, you get through it anyway. Yeah, there's there's some things. <clears throat> um, as a matter of fact, I did uh, Mustang Sally last night. Yeah, it's and- <laughs> another one. <laughs> And I can't say that it's my favorite. No. How about but, stuck in uh, the stuck in the middle? How about that one? <laughs> never done that. Oh man! <laughs> but there are songs. Believe it or not, there are yeah. songs like September by Earth, Wind, and Fire. Yeah. There are songs that we do that, uh, and people can go watch a video of this on our website. Mm-hmm. There are songs that we do that, if they're kind of R and B, and they're some of the great songs of the. Uh, yeah. You know, it could be Earth, Wind, and Fire, or some of the newer mm-hmm. songs, you know, the Uptown Funk. And, yeah, yeah, people don't get uh, tired of those. Yeah, they're, my wife does a great job of our song list has enough new songs in it that we still love it. Yeah, that's good. you got to keep it fresh. Yeah, for sure. Well, that's great. Well, Randy, this has been uh, time, I'll tell you. Um Thank you so much for uh, for all your stories and insights and uh, the different bands you've been involved in. Um, is there any final words you'd like to say to our audience? And then we'll sign off for the day. Oh, final words. Uh, I would well, I want I would want to communicate out of my life story that there was a time in after Butterfly Kisses that. I began to read books and read church history and reread the Bible. Mm-hmm. And I came to what I sort of call, there was a salvation inside my salvation. Yeah. Because um, I struggled with, if, if you listen to, if you're able, like myself, being sort of, you know, at that point, being in my 40s, 
and I took all the things I've been taught in all the different denominations, and if you really put them together carefully, mm-hmm. there were some things that contradicted each other. Yeah. And so I was trying to figure out what what is the real Christian faith and what is cultural Christianity. Mm-hmm. And I don't have the answer to that, but I, I just want to point out the irony of it was... Um, I was given a book by R.C. Sproul, and it was given to me by uh, Steve Camp. Mm-hmm. Steve couldn't show up for, a, I think it was an identical strangers gig or something, and he said, uh, you know, he sent along a book, and he said, hey, sorry I couldn't make it, but here's a book. And the book caused me to, you know, uh, read another book, which caused me to read another book, which caused me to read... Augustine and the Church Fathers and, uh, you know, Ignatius, you know, and Polycarp. And so in all of my searching and wandering and trying to find out the essence of the Christian faith, it was so ironic to me that I spent about a dozen years in a Presbyterian church in Franklin, Tennessee. And then when I emerged from that and I was going to go do a church plant in Spring Hill, Tennessee, I discovered that what I became, are you ready for this? Mm-hmm. I became a Presbyterian. Wow. <laughs> Doesn't that sound like a letdown? Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. what I'm saying is there are, <laughs> there are some of us that, yeah. after being a Christian for decades and decades, yeah. uh, you can. I think you can arrive at a point where you can decide to, you know, if you've grown up Assembly of God, you know, just kind of go, yeah, I'm Assembly of God. I'm not yeah. really excited about it anymore, but <laughs> uh, but that's what I am, and and I'll just go to church and yeah. you know, just be an, a nominal member of, of my church. Yeah. And I've always wanted to be, continue to be the Jesus freak who's excited about the gospel. Yes. And I never would have thought that you know, the, the term Presbyterian, I always thought meant, you know, because in California, I guess I must have run into churches that uh, they'd really watered down the gospel. Yeah, yeah. But uh, I'll never, <laughs> mm-hmm. never forget the day I was, <clears throat> I was playing with a country band called Shadaisy. Mm-hmm. And yes. There was, there was a, uh, now I'm married and I'm a Christian, you know, and there was a, but we were we were playing in this honky tonk, and a girl came up behind me, and mm-hmm. and she she grabbed my gluteus maximus, you yeah. know, with both her hands. Yeah. And I turned around and I said, "Stop it," yeah. you know. And then she did it a second time, and I said, "I'm married," and she said, yeah. "I don't care." Oh wow. And and what was odd is when she did it the third time, I turned around and I said, "Look, I'm a Presbyterian," <laughs> and she'd never heard that one before. Yeah. <laughs> in, in a honky tonk in Dallas, Texas. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I don't know why I told that story, but the, you know, I guess what I'm trying to communicate is that I think there are, and I hope there are many of us who, when we get into our 40s, mm-hmm. and you may have a point at which you could choose whether, you know, to continue, you know, if you have trouble retaining that original love of just loving Jesus. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would say let God reconvert you inside your conversion. Yeah. And just because for me it means being a Presbyterian, it may not mean that for someone else. But 
it meant returning to the gospel, reading God's word, getting yeah. an understanding, you know, of some of the history that I'm involved in, which mm -hmm. is God's history. Yeah. It caused me then to be able to, uh, you know, when when you start to get a handle on the entire scope of the Bible and mm -hmm. what God is trying to tell us, yeah, uh, I do want to encourage people that you can be a Christian for 50, 60 years, like I have, mm -hmm. and you could still come back to square one and be just excited as you were as the day you got saved. Amen. Yeah, absolutely. For sure. Well, Randy, thank you so much. Uh, everybody, this has been the Time Machine Show, and we've, our guest today was Randy Thomas, and uh, we want to thank him so much. God bless you all, and we'll see you again. Time Machine is a production of Classic Christian Rock Radio.